This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Well, Buck is out. The Godfather is in. It is a Friday in America, a Friday around most of the world, actually. Well, some parts of it already moved to Saturday, I guess. But here we are together again. Mike Opelka here, you there, the Buck Sexton Show on your radio. I'm thrilled to be here. I love this audience. I love this show. My good friend Buck Sexton has to be out today so I can be in. And I hope he gets better, feels better, etc. But I'm here and uh, we have much to get to. There is history going on all around us and there is history that should be on our minds tonight as uh, we remember Pearl Harbor. We remember Pearl Harbor and I, I want to encourage you to share any memories that your family may have shared with you about Pearl Harbor. There are so few of the actual survivors of Pearl Harbor with us, that uh, those memories are fading away. And tonight, in the third hour of the show, we have a very, very special guest, someone who witnessed Pearl Harbor as a young girl. She was at uh, Hickam Airfield in Pearl Harbor, right there, within a, a few hundred yards of the actual bombing of Pearl Harbor. And this young lady kept it inside her for decades. She didn't tell her family. It was only recently at a family dinner. I think it was Thanksgiving dinner. B. Bazanski was talking with her relatives. And one of the relatives happens to be one of us, happens to be uh, a conservative talker, was saying, I want to hear everybody's favorite Christmas memory everyone's most special christmas memory and he was recording because that's what we radio geeks do so b opened up her mouth and said this well i'll have to share it with you in just a second b opened up her mouth and uh and said that uh her favorite christmas memory was pearl harbor because she was there She happened to be at Pearl Harbor and witnessed the bombing. And I'll get to the actual sound in a little bit. But you'll hear it through the voice of an 80-something-year-old American who never told her family. And this is one of those things about the greatest generation, of which my dad, who is not with us anymore, he left us almost two years ago. It was the day after Christmas. And um, my dad almost never talked about his experience in the United States Navy in the war. He was one of the people like George Herbert Walker Bush who uh, enlisted as a teenager. He enlisted in the United States Navy because he wanted to serve his country and protect freedom. And my dad ended up lying to the recruiters and saying he was 18. And ultimately they found out that he was a 17-year-old kid, and his parents had to sign a note that said it was okay for him to enlist. 
And he never talked about it. But B. Bazansky never talked about it until this year, and we will hear her story. Also in the news today, obviously we had the uh, former FBI director, James Comey, talking uh, to a couple of House committees and uh, behind closed doors. We will get the text of that testimony tomorrow. There was a 24-hour delay, and I'm sure they were waiting on whether or not they needed to uh, redact anything from the text. Comey came out and made a few statements. We'll get into that. Uh, Additionally, the Cohen memo, the sentencing uh, memo is out, and uh, the recommendation for sentencing for Michael Cohen is a whole bunch of time. And we're going to tap into the brain of uh, one of our friends who is an attorney, a prosecutor. Wendy Patrick is going to join us just around the bend here. And we'll talk about Michael Cohen. We'll talk about Comey. And we'll talk. If you want to get involved in the program tonight, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK is the phone number. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into it. Again, I'd love to hear if there are Pearl Harbor memories One of the things I remember my father telling me about Pearl Harbor, and we grew up in Chicago, that uh, Pearl Harbor changed things that nobody anticipated they would change. For example, there was a potato chip company in Chicago named Mrs. Japs Potato Chips. They weren't Japanese people. That just happened to be the family name. Mrs. Japs Potato Chips was a gigantic potato chip company in Chicago. And the day after Pearl Harbor, anything that had the word Jap in it was suddenly toxic. And my dad talked about the fact that the Mrs. Japs Potato Chips disappeared from store shelves. That uh, Mrs. Japs eventually had to change its name. To Jay's potato chips. And as a kid growing up, we ate Jay's potato chips without ever knowing that in 1941, the company almost went out of business because of the name Mrs. Japs. And you know the dark history of this nation with the internment camps, etc. But 1941, Japanese airplanes warplanes, kamikazes, attacked the American naval base at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. 2,400-plus killed, many in their sleep, in the barracks. So you'll hear it in the words of B. Bizansky just around the corner. It is something that we should never, ever, ever forget, especially, as I mentioned earlier, there are so few of those who witnessed and survived Pearl Harbor who are still with us. We are losing entirely too many of that generation every single day. So we've got to get to the Pearl Harbor memories. We will talk about James Comey and his testimony, what we can talk about, what we do know. We will discuss the uh, sentencing memo, 42 months for uh, Mr. Cohen, Donald Trump's uh, former uh, attorney, his fixer, according to some people. And there's nervousness around the stock market. Today, the market dives 558 points, closing the day at uh, 24,388, the Dow Jones Industrial Index. The, The issue here may be the trade war with China, and it might be related to a CEO who was arrested 
allegedly uh, for helping Iran and violating our agreement. And we'll talk with an expert on Middle East issues. Gordon Chang, my friend, is going to join us today. There are also some really strange stories out there that we need to get to today. The war on Christmas is something that really has me perturbed. Uh, It's not just the guy who banned the candy canes from the school in Nebraska. It's not just the leftists who want the three wise men removed from a school roof in Michigan. Uh, Three wise men figurines have only been on the roof of the school in Michigan since the 40s. And why would you ever want wise men associated with a school, you idiots? There's more. There are... uh, Stories about really dumb people, too. Dumber than the people who want the uh, wise men taken off the school. There's the story of the man who wanted to get a job. He interviewed for a sales position at a Kohl's store in Florida. And after his interview, he started shoplifting. And they caught him. He didn't get the job. But there is hope, my friends. There is hope on this December 7th. 2018, as we learn, Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, in the school, a vending machine exists that for a dollar will deliver cooked bacon to you. Yes, America is the greatest country on the planet. The details on that, but the news of the day is up next. I'm going to step aside here so we can get our friend Wendy Patrick on the phone Wendy Patrick is a prosecutor, an attorney, an author, a public speaker, and she'll try and help us make uh, make any kind of hay out of what happened with the Michael Cohen sentencing memo and anything we know about the James Comey testimony next on The Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka here for Buck Sexton on this Friday night, Pearl Harbor Day. We are remembering Pearl Harbor while we also deal with the news of the day. I want to get to Wendy Patrick in just a second, but real quickly, in Biloxi, Mississippi, David is online too. David, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. You had something you needed to tell us? Yeah, thank you. Uh, My mom was born December 7, 1941. And my wow. grandfather was go, going around passing out, you know, cigars that day. And everybody's like, you know, what? Because he didn't know. You know, back I guess back then, you know, news didn't travel as fast as it does today. But that's oh, absolutely. A, a funny family story that, you know, my grandfather was giving out cigars because of the birth, and, you know, it was kind of like, you know, every, other people knew, but he didn't know. Yeah, it's got to stink to have your birthday on the day of a tragedy <laughs> like that. But the good part is you'll never forget your mom's birthday. David, thank you for sharing. Uh, happy birthday to your mom if she's still with us. And never forget Pearl Harbor and never forget mom's birthday. Thank you, my friend. All right, I got to get to uh, my buddy, Wendy Patrick, who is an attorney. Uh, she is uh, an author, a public speaker. You've seen her all over conservative media. She's just an all-around great person. And if you want to know more, wendypatrickphd.com. Hello, my friend. 
Always a pleasure, Mike. Happy to join you. Well, now, Wendy, uh, I don't know how much time you had to grab the uh, the breaking news that happened just before we got on the air, but the uh, the recommendations on sentencing for Michael Cohen came down. I think it was a lot of a lot of pages, but was the gist of it they suggested forty two months in prison? Yeah, and you know what you know what that tells us, Mike. That tells us a lot about the extent of his cooperation. And one of the things that people forget is remember the original charges against Cohen at the plea. That was a Southern District of New York case. After that, even though there was no cooperation agreement included within that, he voluntarily started cooperating with Mueller's team. So that's fairly significant when it comes to how many hours he spent with that team and accordingly how light, how lenient his sentence is compared to what it could have been. So 42 months, uh, three and a half years in prison, and I'm sure it's going to be a federal prison, uh, not not a camp with a hedge. Uh, that's considered lenient for what, what he had done? It's doable. And, and that's what you really look at is so many federal crimes. When you think of the way you can stack them and count them and the different, the, the different charges that are available, many defendants like Cohen are grateful to have a reduced sentence because sometimes when cases like this go to trial, they're convicted of so many other crimes that when it gets to sentencing, there's just too many years. So that's one of the reasons, obviously, people plea bargain to begin with. But there's also no guarantee when you cooperate with the government as to what exactly, at least not most of the time, what your sentence is going to be. However, in practice, as a practical matter, many cooperating witnesses have some idea of the savings, we'll call it that, the savings available to them by cooperating. Wow. Only if they provide truthful information, though. Remember, Mueller's, I'm sorry, Manafort's, the agreement was uh, withdrawn because apparently they didn't think that information was truthful. So that is the caveat. And now we're hearing in uh, breaking news reports from the Associated Press that Paul Manafort, the uh, ex-campaign chair, and it was a brief campaign chair position, lied about contacts with the Trump administration officials and a Russian associate. So uh, how bad is the news down the road for Paul Manafort, do you think? could be very bad because part of the reason that witnesses cooperate is to achieve a reduction in sentence, to achieve leniency, to get a kind of a deal that Michael Cohen got. And I know for your listeners, they may be thinking, God, I wouldn't want to spend one year in prison. Well, you would if the alternative was 30 years. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a big savings, but Manafort is no longer going to be able to reap the benefits, which is why there was so much pardon-dangling language uh, being talked about last week when the president famously said, well, it's not off the table, which is, I mean, he just can't misuse the pardon power. He can use it. But that's one of the reasons that the Manafort situation is really uh, front and center uh, in the news today, just like it was last week. And it's always a Friday, Mike. Fridays are big news days. <laughs> yeah, I never thought all of this would be coming down. So I, I don't think Michael Cohen's in line for any kind of presidential pardon for the next 10,000 no years. I think that's clear. No <laughs> way. But Manafort, you never know. Uh, now, did you get to dive into any of the James Comey stuff? I saw the press conference briefly. He didn't say too much. 
didn't. And, you know, we were all excited about getting the transcript. And I personally, like, you know, I, I fancy myself a body language expert. I've written a couple books on it, done a bunch of research. I like watching him testify like we did the last time because you learn so much more. But at the very least, transcript, next best thing. But you're right. It was a bit anticlimactic in that we would have liked to have heard much more of the backstory surrounding some of what went on during the course of the investigation. Yeah, and we're going to get uh, another hearing, another visit from Paul Manafort to these uh, committees in two weeks. Why the heck do we have to wait two weeks? Any clue on that, Wendy? No, but, you know, there's always a there's always a lot going on behind the scenes. And sometimes, like, I'll give you Michael Flynn as an example. He dropped off the radar a year ago, and then all of a sudden the memo came down this week that he's been they extended his cooperation. So just because there's a delay doesn't necessarily mean people are just dragging their feet or slow walking. There's actually quite a bit that has to go on behind the scenes in order for these deals to get made. So, um, you know, having been, I'm, I hope none of your listeners do the math, but having been in this business for over two decades, I can attest to the fact that a delay means there's a significant amount of legwork that needs to be done. So it really is to everybody's benefit to let that happen. Okay, because I always wonder why you had a hearing today. Why can't you be back there Monday? Why can't we keep this going? Because I wouldn't mind a daily transcript if you're not going to do it live. And by the way, if you guys are listening, Wendy Patrick was the Doogie Hauser of lawyers. She was like a, a an attorney at the age of 12 or something. Thank you. That's absolutely right. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I want to make sure we get that clear. Uh, her name is yeah. Wendy Patrick. Uh, you can find out more at Wendy Patrick, Ph.D. And I wish we could have seen Comey. Wendy, I've got about a minute left. Did you detect anything from the body language at the presser? You know, it's, it's hard to say. You know, it's very hard when you have prepared statements and you're, you're doing a presser. It's much easier to read body language when you're responding to questions, not exactly knowing what the questions are going to be. That's when you have a lot of the emotions sneaking out. I mean, all of us. I mean, nobody's immune from this. So I would have liked to have seen the live Q&A. I think we would have learned a lot more. But, um, you know, he's used to pressers. I mean, this guy's a professional. He's been doing it for years. So we don't, even Donald Trump is a, is a pro at pressers. We don't learn as much as we'd like to do when somebody's delivering prepared remarks. All right. Well, we will stay tuned. Again, I said her name was Wendy Patrick, and she is an attorney, a speaker, an author, and a friend of this show. Thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend. You as well. Always a pleasure, Mike. When we get back, we'll dive into your calls and more Pearl Harbor and more news. It's Michael Pelka and for my friend Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show, 844-900-BUCK. Join the conversation. Well, uh, Buck is not quite back yet. Michael Pelka here, the godfather, as you may know me from previous appearances on Buck's show. Buck and I go way back, way back to the early days of the Blaze and the Blaze Radio, and I'm happy to be here for my friend. And wow, what big news this week between the Blaze and CRTV, a merger of conservative sites, conservative outlets, I think anything that strengthens the conservative news organizations is a good thing. And I hope my friends who are still involved in both are uh, continuing to grow and thrive. I got a lot of calls from people saying, hey, you coming back to the place? Well, no, but I'm back on the Blaze Radio tonight, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? So there you have it. But I'm here tonight. And I'm sure Buck's voice will be back and he'll be back on the radio next week. 
In the meantime, we're talking about the news of the day. We're talking about uh, history as well with Pearl Harbor on everyone's mind. And the phones are going to be open all night, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Before we left, Robert in uh, Jackson, Mississippi was on hold. Robert, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. What's in your mind, sir? Hey, good evening. This is way off topic, but... I'm wondering what happened to the caravan story. Is there no more political capital in it so everybody don't care anymore? No, no, there's plenty of political capital in the caravan story. As a matter of fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi was asked about building the wall today and uh, was asked about DACA today. And I, I will have that quote for you so you can hear what she said. But here's the deal uh, with uh, the caravan story. Tijuana, Mexico, kind of got hip to the fact that it was a festering collection of disease, that there were people living in their own filth, and there was a serious human health problem developing, not just for the people in the caravan who were in this encampment, but for the people of Tijuana. So the Mexicans went in and dispersed the caravan encampment and gee, then ABC and MSNBC and CNN don't have anything to walk around and point to. So it became less important to them. It's still a deal. And we're still working with uh, Mexico, I'm, I'm happy to say, to try and make sure that we don't allow the future caravans to come this way. There are stories out there. The only story you may have seen about this, Robert, that made the mainstream media was the story of the one member of the caravan who got through, got across the border and delivered a baby the next day. Now that child is an American citizen because of our constitution is written that way. But that's the only story that we're seeing on it. Now you'll see more because there's going to be more coming up, but they're obsessed. The mainstream media is absolutely frothing, obsessed with the Mueller investigation the memos that came out today, the sentencing suggestions. So they kind of got distracted. Somebody, instead of talking about the caravan, went, squirrel, Mueller, and they looked over there. So that's, uh, that's the deal on that. There should have been more, but there, there was not. So uh, I do appreciate you being there and uh, joining us in this conversation. I'm sure the caravan will not go away we still need to, uh, in my opinion, build the wall. And uh, we still need to, believe it or not, let Mexico pay for it through Donald Trump's negotiation of the uh, Canada, Mexico and U.S. trade agreement, which he has to get pushed through. And he's probably going to do that by getting rid of NAFTA officially and forcing it to happen. But thank you, Rob, for joining the conversation uh, line two is Larry from Ohio. Larry, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, sir. What's on your mind? Hello, Mike. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. So, uh, thinking of Pearl Harbor Day, uh, I was uh, sitting here telling my wife, my granddad had uh, eight, eight uh, children, four boys, four girls, and the oldest four boys was all in the uh, Second World War. Uh, one didn't come back. Mm. And then as a side note, my youngest son uh, joined the uh, Navy in, uh, on, uh, in, uh, on uh, December 7th. 
Yeah, that's when my dad was inspired to join the Navy as well. You know, um, Larry, you remind me of something I have to make mention of. Families like yours who gave a son to this country in World War II, and yes, there were women who died too in service to this country, but it was predominantly men. Uh, If they are buried in a federal cemetery, a, a military cemetery, if they're buried at Arlington, next week, a week from tomorrow, we will be meeting, many of us at Arlington and many at cemeteries around the country, and placing a wreath on the grave of every soldier, except our members of the Jewish faith who were buried there. But we will be placing a wreath, a fresh-made wreath, with a red ribbon on every single grave. And it's through an amazing charity called Wreaths Across America. And uh, if you can't be there to place a wreath on the graves, I encourage you to visit wreathsacrossamerica.org and maybe sponsor a wreath if you can. This will be my fourth year of participating at... um, at Arlington National Cemetery, and I, I've made friends who meet every year to put the wreaths on the graves. And until you've done it, you can't understand the scope of the sacrifice that the men and women of this military and the families like Larry's have made for our country. So uh, uh, December 15th, a week and a day from today, many of us, thousands of us will meet at Arlington, and again, you don't have to be here in the uh, D.C. area to do this. There are plenty of uh, military cemeteries all over the country, and you can go to wreathsacrossamerica.org and put in your zip code, and it will tell you where the closest facility is to you. I um, I can't tell you how touching it is to see the the scout troops, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, the families, who attend Wreaths Across America and spend hours carrying wreaths on their arms. A lot of people bring rakes or umbrellas so they can carry 5, 10, 15 wreaths at one time and walk up the hills and then place the wreaths on the graves. But it is uh, truly one of the most special moments that I've experienced as an American is to pay tribute to those who died in service of this country in war. And uh, it's, it's, it's beyond explanation on the radio. And if you follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at StuntBrain, or if you follow my exploits on PureOpelka.com, you will see next week we'll be posting videos and pictures from wreaths across America. Thank you, Larry, for uh, sharing your story. So many families like Larry's have... Um, have family members who served and and I'm going to tell you the story in the last hour of the show today of an amazing woman named B Bazanski. B is in her 80s now and uh she she's a woman who witnessed Pearl Harbor herself and never told anybody about it. I mean her family knew, her mom knew, her brother knew and her father knew. But growing up, they just didn't talk about it because the greatest generation just did their job. They didn't go out and hang their their past experiences on their sleeve and say, look at me, look what I've been through. They just did it and they built this country. But at the Thanksgiving dinner, 
my buddy Drew was asking the family members what is their favorite Christmas memory or their most special Christmas memory. And uh, B, Aunt B, kind of blew everybody away when she, uh, she mentioned that, that she had been at Pearl Harbor. And it's a remarkable story. We will share it with you in the third hour of the show today. I also want to get to uh, the media. The media's treatment of Donald Trump during the funeral for George H.W. Bush is just reprehensible. And uh, there is a montage that I will share with you coming up just around the corner of some of the garbage that was put out by the mainstream media during the funeral for George H.W. Bush. Uh, And the leader of the attack, the disgusting attacks on Donald Trump, was none other than Mika Brzezinski from Morning Joe. I'm sorry, she's Mika Scarborough now. Now that Mika and Joe got married at the National Archives in the rotunda there beneath the Declaration of Independence because they're special and they can do that. Mika Brzezinski, well, in her own words. But what becomes undeniably obvious with every bio run about Bush 41 is that stark contrast between these two men. Yeah, we'll get into what Mika said and what some of the other members of the mainstream media said. And uh, I'll play for you the montage. You can see how disgusting it is. But again, she is the, the leader of the smears against Donald Trump. I can't believe you took the funeral of a president and used it to smear this president just because you don't like him. When we get back, however, uh, we are going to talk about the war on Christmas. I have a buddy who is a faith writer who's going to join us and discuss what's happening. I mentioned the school in Michigan where the three wise men are uh, being attacked. They want them thrown off the roof because who the hell would want wise men involved in a school? There's also schools in Ohio that are doing ridiculous things. And my home state of Illinois, my home state of Illinois and the capital of Illinois, they are sucking up to Satan. I'll explain what the heck I'm talking about as we uh, go into the attack on Christmas. The war on Christmas is in the crosshairs next on the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Michael Pelka. Come on back. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight on the Buck Sexton Show. Let's have some fun tonight. Join the conversation. You know the number, but I'll repeat it. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-BUCK. And let me repeat this right now. Absolutely right now. Omaha Steaks is giving an amazing limited time offer to Buck Sexton listeners. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code BUCK, B-U-C-K, into the search bar, you'll get... 74% off the Omaha Steaks Family Gift Pack. Originally $195, now $49.99. What do you get? You get four hand-cut, aged-to-tenderness, top sirloin steaks, two savory pork chops, premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all-beef meatballs, four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin, Four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets. Those are so good. Plus, get four more burgers for free. Omaha Steaks, a fifth-generation family-owned company with over 100 years in experience delivering perfectly aged beef hand-cut by master butchers in Omaha. 
Again, get the limited time package for only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com. You type buck in the search bar and add the family gift package to your cart. Don't wait. The offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com, type buck in the search bar, and send Omaha Steaks to family and friends. Send the Omaha Steaks family gift pack today. All right. uh, I would send Billy Hallowell an Omaha Steaks family gift pack. But I want to hear what he has to say first. My friend is an author. He's a, a man of faith. He's a guy I look to for for guidance on topics like the war on Christmas. And maybe you've seen him on Faithwire, on The Blaze. Uh, now he, I think, is working with the, the people at Pure Flix. Billy Hallowell, where do we find you these days? Look at you. Look at Hello? Um, Come in. Find me over. Oh, Billy's phone stinks. Billy, you need to stand near a window. We might have to come back to you. Talk to me, my friend. Can you can you hear? Oh, I feel like the cell phone. No, your phone is terrible. We might have to get to you at the top of the hour, Billy Hallowell. It's uh it's unfortunate. Um and maybe the studio can get a landline where we can reach Billy. I know he's on the road today. Uh, he's out and about. I wanted to talk to Billy about some of the some of the attacks on Christmas that are out there, not just the Omaha, Nebraska school where they ban the candy canes because a candy cane looks like the letter J, which means Jesus in the minds of the people. It all J also means jack wagon. And I would uh, let the person who is uh, banning Christmas songs, anything that mentions Jesus, I would let that principal know. That J also stands for Jack Wagon, sir. All right, we're going to see if we can connect to Billy through a landline. And in the meantime, I mentioned something earlier when I talked about how the media treated Donald Trump. I want to play for you a montage. We played for you a little bit of what Mika Brzezinski said. But this is a montage of what some of the news media said about Donald Trump using the funeral of George Herbert Walker Bush to do so. Donald Trump is 180 from who George H.W. Bush is. The world looked to George Bush because he was a leader respected. He had proven himself. This president has yet to do that. This president that we have now is trying to unravel everything that he did and Obama did. I think he's doing this because he feels he has to do it. I I can't help but wonder if there was a thought bubble over Donald Trump's head just now, what he was thinking. I have to imagine he was thinking, how much longer do I have to stand here? We may not approve of this current president, but that doesn't diminish one's respect for the office. Because there are a lot of things about George H.W. Bush that maybe people now appreciate that they didn't appreciate the time. And it just gives you a sense of the of the, of the, of the big character of, of the man and, and, and the contrast with the, the small character we see. Uh, we see today. George Bush believed in the institutions of government, which I think, too, is another reason why this moment to remember and to compare and contrast is so important because our institutions are so under siege right now by the government itself. And that is why we celebrate George H.W. Bush's legacy and fear the next two years of Mr. Trump's wild White House ride. Mr. Trump's wild White House ride, says Mika Brzezinski. She's trying to make a reference to a Disneyland ride, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. The media, the left side of the mainstream media, doesn't understand why the rest of the country that isn't following like a line of penguins uh, 
along with their, uh, their mantra and their agenda. The media doesn't understand why people are fed up with them. But there is the example of how the mainstream media has taken the funeral of a great man and used it to try and diminish Donald Trump, no matter what else is going on. We've had sustained economic growth. We have, uh, still have some things to get past uh, with North Korea and the denuclearization of that peninsula. But guess what? All the testing has stopped. Yes, we're in a trade war with China. And we'll have more on that next hour with Gordon Chang joining us. But what's going on now is a full-blown attack on the president of the United States. More than 90% negative coverage from the left side of the media. That montage should be exhibit A in the collusion of the mainstream media against Donald Trump. When we get back uh, next hour, I hope we'll get to Billy Hallowell. He's somewhere near the mountains, he said, in Arizona. I'm not sure what he's up to. But we'll talk to you as well. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825 on the Buck Sexton Show with Michael Pelka. Michael Pelka in for my friend Buck Sexton tonight on the Buck Sexton Show. He'll be back Monday. Appreciate the chance to be with an audience that I consider to be the best audience in the world. You guys are always smart. You keep me on edge. You keep me honest. And uh, you're welcome to join the conversation tonight. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. On this day where we remember Pearl Harbor, a little bit later in the show, we're actually going to hear from a woman in her 80s now who was there, who was just a few hundred yards away from where the bombing took place and didn't tell her family about it. Nobody knew in the, in the current generation. She knew, her little brother knew, her mother knew, and the father who was stationed at the uh, Air Force Base, the airfield at Pearl Harbor. They knew, but they never told the family. B. Bazansky is the woman we're going to hear from later in the show. But let me tell you, this, this came up over a uh, Thanksgiving dinner where my buddy Drew, who's also a talk radio guy, asked uh, the family, hey, let's talk about your favorite Christmas. And he records everything because that's what radio geeks do. And Aunt B said this. Well, it was different. I mean, the Japanese had just bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> and like we were right there. And nobody knew. Their jaws dropped. And then Aunt B proceeded to tell the story of that morning in Hawaii, December 7th, 1941, 77 years she's held this inside. You will hear that story from Aunt B later, later on uh, the Buck Sexton show. But I'm hoping, I'm actually praying <laughs> that our next guest is able to talk to us because we were talking about the war on Christmas. And yes, we will get to what happened with the... Uh, recommendations on sentencing for Michael Cohen. We talked briefly about it last hour, and we'll get to the Manafort story and, and the other news that's breaking out of D.C. But uh, there's such an attack on Christmas, and it seems to be really going crazy lately, that I wanted to uh, tap into my friend Billy Hallowell from Pure Flix and see what he's up to, see what he's saying. Uh, welcome to the program, sir. I hope you're in a better spot. I'm here. I'm here. I heard you suck up to the audience. I heard the whole thing. So can you hear me now? 
Yeah, barely. The minute you accused me of sucking up to the audience, your phone went wonky. I almost had to hang up on you again. <laughs> you, that's called you tuning out. It's a very different thing. I've got, I've got good reception now. I'm good. Good. Very good. Now, Billy, I mentioned the, the Michigan school that has had the wise men on the roof of the school, the figurines, since the 40s. And they, there are a couple people complain, so they want to take it down. I mentioned briefly the Nebraska school where a principal actually said that the candy canes look like the letter J, which stood for Jesus, so they need to be banned. And my home state of Illinois in the capital has a, uh, a Christmas tree, as they should, has a menorah, as they should, because we're in the middle of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to our, our Jewish friends. But uh, they also now have a satanic statue. Um, what, what, how are we losing the war on Christmas with Donald Trump in the White House? Well, here's the, here's the thing. I think the problem with Trump, and I'm sure he's well-intentioned, you know, telling people we're, we're, we're bringing Christmas back, you know, because you're saying Merry Christmas, it's, it's a far bigger issue than people saying Happy Holidays versus Merry Christmas. I'm not that offended by the Happy Holidays thing, only because New Year's is a holiday, Hanukkah is a holiday, and there are times when it's just like, hey, there's numerous holidays, so I'm going to say Happy Holidays. Where it seems to be a real problem is when you get in, and by the way, before we even get into the finer specifics of it, you have one one side of the aisle denying that this happens at all. Oh, those crazy Republicans and Fox News, they're making up this war on Christmas. Well, you know, we don't need to use the language war on Christmas. Let's just use the language of very stupid arguments to pick. And people pick these battles over things like the wise men. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the reality is this is a historical, there's a historical context to this. Most Americans celebrate Christmas. Christmas is not some made-up holiday. It's not whatever you want it to be. Christmas is what Christmas is. It's the birth of Jesus. It's the celebration of that. Not everybody believes in Jesus. Not everybody wants to celebrate those elements. And that is what Christmas is. So when you start to water that down or remove that, you're actually taking away information from people. You're taking away education. I think it's great that we can teach one another what Hanukkah is, that we can teach one another what Christmas is, that we can have these conversations. Why are three wise men a problem? But beyond that, and when we talk about that, the bigger issue is the Satanists and the atheists, that they feel the need to be so offensive towards those who celebrate Christmas that they have to have a display mocking Christmas, that they feel the need to do that. It's just, it's not even, there's no decency in it. It's, we teach our kids to treat one another well. How is mocking somebody's tradition treating them well? I just, I don't understand it. And I think, I will say this, I know there's panic about, you know, the war on Christmas, I actually am seeing a lot of communities this year, including my own, where they would have annual holiday tree lighting ceremonies, um, to actually turning that into a Christmas tree ceremony. For the first time in five years, my town called the holiday tree lighting ceremony a Christmas tree ceremony. And that is interesting to me. Um, and I think, so I think there's a move back towards rational thought, because the Satanists have been doing this for years, and they just continue to. Well, now that you bring that up, the holiday tree lighting versus the Christmas tree lighting, I'm starting to see that, too, now that I pay attention to it. And Billy lives in the New York State outside of New York City, and it's a real liberal part of the world. And you're just down the road from the Catholic Church outside of Boston that put a cage around its nativity scene. I don't know if you did you see that one? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And listen, 
quit manipulating the Christmas story to make a political point. It's obnoxious. I, I just hate when people, and it's, it's the, I'm not going to compare it to what the statements are doing because they're different things, but it's a failed attempt to make an impact. To me, it's like, look, you're trying to make a point. You don't like immigration policy, so you're taking the nativity to try to, try to make that point. I think it's pretty lame. I don't, I don't know why anybody would find that as a compelling piece of evidence towards making a political case. Let Christmas be Christmas. If I'm an atheist, and I'm not, obviously, but I'm, you know what I'm doing? I'm looking out and saying, look, these people have a tradition. I don't embrace it. I don't believe it, but I'm going to respect their tradition. Just like I'm going to respect atheist, you know, decision not to believe. But to go in there and to just mock, you know, the nativity with these ridiculous displays and these atheist displays. Uh, listen, you want to take Christmas back? It's just back to the heart of what it is. And I think Here's the thing. We're winning the war on Christmas to me, and maybe I'm crazy. If we get back to faith every day, not just in December, not just on December 25th, and we get back to treating one another well, loving God, loving others every day, that's how we win the war on Christmas. It's how we bring the truth back into culture. You know, So we can get hung up on all of these things. I think we should speak out against the silliness when the atheists and Satanists do it, but I think we should also encourage towns to be honest, that there's nothing unconstitutional about lighting a Christmas tree. There's no such thing as a holiday tree. Nobody lights a holiday tree and puts it in their house. So it's silliness, it's PC, you know, garbage, and we just got to get back to a rational thought and being kind to one another. You know, you, you bring up a really good point. We're talking with my friend Billy Hallowell. Uh, you can find what Billy's doing on uh, Pure Flix. Uh, is that the correct web address, Billy? So if you go to, if you go to insider.pureflix.com, we got all sorts of daily content in my website, BillyHollowell.com. You can find me on social as well. I'm at Billy Hollowell. I've got daily devotions and lots of fun uh, stuff on my website, too. And Billy is an author as well. He's, he's constantly writing books, it seems, and he sets up camp in uh, Starbucks and uses their free Wi-Fi while sipping <laughs> gallons of coffee and, and writing his latest book. a lot days, Mike. Yeah. Peppermint mocha lattes. And by the way, I'm actually in, in sunny Arizona right now where it's like 60 degrees, which is amazing. I'm I, I hope your toes grow together because it's 25 <laughs> degrees here where we are. And I'm sure your family is freezing outside of uh, New York City in their little bird. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, yeah, quick question. Christmas tree lighting ceremony. <laughs> if you guys, you're, you're a faith-filled family, do you... You do a Christmas tree, and I know you do Elf on the Shelf. How do you fight the commercialism of Christmas raising two young girls? It's a real struggle. I mean, and, and here's the thing. As much as I love, I'm actually very sympathetic. There are a lot of Christians who don't celebrate. They don't celebrate, they don't celebrate Elf on the Shelf. They feel like it's not. It takes away from the meaning of Christmas. And the same goes for the gift-giving and all that. We really try to set... The, you know, Christmas being what Christmas is. So we've got a number of traditions. We do the elf, but we also do the shepherd on the search, which is another great thing for parents out there looking. It's a shepherd, you know, doll that you move around, and the goal is to get it near the nativity or at the nativity on Christmas. So every day the kids look for the shepherd. They can touch the shepherd. It's not like the elf. They can touch it, and there's a little Bible verse with it every day. And so we read that verse, and it's about Christmas. And so we've got traditions like that. 
And, and when we talk to the kids, if you were to ask them, you know, what, what is the real meaning of Christmas, they know what it is. And so we try to keep that daily focus throughout December on the truth of it, and we try to keep their expectations on gifts. And we get them a bunch of gifts. We make Christmas really nice, but we focus on, look, we're giving to you because we were given a gift. You know, Jesus' coming was a gift. His birth was a gift. And so it's a tough thing, though, and I think parents really struggle. You almost have to, like, keep up with the Joneses, right? All the parents are doing this gift-giving thing, and they're all now the elves, the ridiculous elves on the shelf are bringing gifts for the kids. Before Christmas, there's a gift now, and we're just, we don't do that. Like, there's no gift. I'm sorry, kids, you got yourself, that's your gift, and you'll get your gifts at Christmas. So you gotta, you, you gotta keep it in check. Uh, it's a, a tough job, and uh, you do a good job at it, my friend. I, I look up to you, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on the war on Christmas and the calm approach you bring to it. His name is Billy Hallowell. Go to billyhallowell.com or insider.pureflix.com. Till I see you next time, sir, have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for having me. There he goes. And uh, I meant to tell Billy before he got out of here that uh, he needs to know about Global Verification Network. It is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigations and vetting company Go to mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. Federally certified as a veteran-owned small business, a VOSB, as they say, independently certified by National Veteran Business Development, that council, which is also the only minority spend certification recognized by the Billion Dollar Roundtable. It's headquartered in Chicago. With offices throughout the nation, they are risk mitigation experts. They work with startups to Fortune 100 companies. No data or client information is ever offshored. All employees are located throughout the United States. So go to mygvn.com for the global verification network that this show recommends. Michael Pelka sitting in for my friend Buck Sexton. We've got more to get to. And you want to know about the guy, the uh, arrest of the Chinese executive and what it means. We're going to dive into that plus more on Pearl Harbor. As we remember Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th, 1941. Michael Pelka, as I said, in for Buck Sexton. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on this Friday, uh, December 7th, 2018, the 77th anniversary of the attack on the American naval base at Pearl Harbor. You got to remember, Hawaii was not a state, but we did have a naval base there. And uh, we have a special treat next hour. We have the memory of a woman in her 80s who, as a young girl, witnessed Pearl Harbor and didn't tell that story until this year and my buddy who is a radio guy recorded it and so we're going to dive into that story Uh, there's also the story out of china and canada that ties to the u.s and the story of the arrest of a of an executive from a chinese company i believe the company is pronounced weiwei it's spelled h-u-a-w-e-i And uh, China and their state media have called the U.S. a despicable rogue over the arrest of this CFO. It is a uh, a scary situation that we will get to when we talk to our friend Gordon Chang, who is an expert on all the stuff going on in the Asian Peninsula.
and uh, he knows China inside out as well. We'll talk to him just around the corner. That situation also addressed by Ted Cruz today. And Cruz talked about why these Chinese companies that are manufacturing products that are worldwide are a danger. And he talked about the fact that Chinese companies and their technology uh, have infiltrated America, Canada, virtually any country that they sell their technology to, they um, include a back door that will send information back home to the mothership, if you will. Another warning against uh, governments that control all the industry, you know, the whole communism thing, a bad idea, a very bad idea. So we'll dive into that just around the corner. Also, Nancy Pelosi today kind of showed her her I was going to say her hand, but I think she kind of showed her butt. Nancy Pelosi was asked uh, yesterday if she'd be willing to support some degree of wall funding if she got a permanent bona fide solution on DACA. And this is going to tell you where the Democrats stand. This is going to prove to you that there's really no honest interest in any bipartisanship between the House and the presidency. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Pelosi smiles and then doesn't really tell you the truth when she's talking about uh, what the Democrats are planning on doing. Listen to the answer to the question about a bona fide solution to DACA and whether or not she could support funding for the wall. There seems to be a push again on the, on the wall. I've heard from a lot of Republicans in the House that they might have trouble moving legislation on the wall. They had two bills that failed this year on the wall. Would you be willing to support some degree of wall funding if you got a permanent bona fide solution on DACA? No. No. She just flat out said no. There's your indication of what the reality is. That's Nancy Pelosi telling you exactly what she plans on doing. The next two years are going to be complete obstructionism. The next two years, you're going to see the resistance that has been elected in place in Congress, in in the House, maybe not so in the Senate. But Pelosi and the Democrats are dug in. They think they have a mandate. They think this this uh, 40 seat blue wave gives them the mandate to stop everything until the 2020 election. And I say, great, good for you, because I know that the Republicans, if they have a hair on their hind ends, will stand up and say, look at what they are doing. At least for two years, we had progress. We got a few things done. And maybe just maybe there'll be another Supreme Court resignation in the next two years, because you may be able to isolate Donald Trump, but you won't be able to isolate the fact that the uh, Republicans control the White House, and the Senate, which would approve all those judicial nominations and any Supreme Court nomination. But Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats just flat out set up for resistance. And she's going to try and tell you that it's two different things. That the funding for the wall tying to a permanent solution for DACA are, the, are, are two different things. They're not. How can you say that anything related to immigration is 
is not the same thing. Pelosi is going to be a problem to her party more than a problem to the Republicans. How can that be, Mike? Well, she's in her 70s now. And the youth movement and the party, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's of the world, are going to revolt against Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and the other, the top four members of the Democrats in the House, the top four members controlling the House are all closer to 80 than anything else. That's trouble with the Democratic youth movement. We'll dive into that a little bit more. Plus, we'll talk about the situation with China when we chat with Gordon Chan. Gordon Chang is next on the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on this Friday night. It is uh, Pearl Harbor Day. We remember Pearl Harbor today. We'll get into that about an hour from now. I'm going to share with you the memories of a woman in her 80s who was there just a few hundred yards away from where the bombing happened as a young child. And she never told her grandkids about it. She never told her nieces and nephews about it. Because that's what the greatest generation did. They kept the bad stuff inside and pushed forward. So you have to stick around for that. We'll tell you the story of Aunt B. Bazansky that was just told after 77 years of keeping it inside. But we have other issues we need to get to tonight. Uh, I I told you I, I wanted to get some help understanding the arrest of the chief financial officer of a Chinese tech company, a big tech company, makes a lot of cell phones. They're kind of like the Apple of China, I believe. So I need to bring in an expert. And uh, our friend, longtime guest on many shows I've been on, Gordon Chang, a, a great author, a great speaker, a guy who understands the region, is squeezing us in tonight. Hey, Gordon, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you so much, Mike. I, I always appreciate your clarity on on this region because You understand it so well because you've been studying it forever. Uh, This situation with uh, the arrest of, uh, she's known as Sabrina Mang or Kathy Mang. Uh, I can't pronounce her her last name correctly. Uh, But uh, this seems to be sparking some international tension seriously between America and China, correct? Oh, certainly. Uh, Beijing is just enraged uh, that, anyone would dare to arrest Communist Party royalty. She's the daughter of the founder of Huawei Technologies, which is, as you point out, the largest telecom equipment manufacturer in the world. And um, Huawei is critical to China's future. Um, We've all heard of this Made in China 2025 initiative, where China um, hoped to dominate 10 sectors. China actually added an 11th sector earlier this year. That's 5G wireless communications. Well, Huawei is China's hope to dominate 5G. And so, therefore, she's critical because she is was slated to become um, the C- uh, CEO of Huawei. Now she's the CFO. Um, but at this time, right now, um, her future is very much in doubt. And it's in doubt because she's been arrested in uh, Canada and maybe extradited to the United States for, uh, I believe, trading with Iran and breaking our agreement that our, we wouldn't be doing business with Iran. Is that the easiest way to boil it down? That's right. Um, 
the allegation is that she was involved in Huawei's transactions with Iran that violated American sanctions. And so um, this is a serious offense, of course. And it, it comes at a time where the United States has had real problems with ZTE, which is almost a sister company to Huawei. ZTE has now violated two settlement agreements with the United States. And um, I think basically the Trump administration just said, enough is enough. And so they decided to lower the hammer on Huawei, which has been known to be violating these sanctions for quite some time, and also which was built upon stolen Cisco technology. So there's a lot of grievances here. A lot of grievances between America and, uh, well, it's not, there are no real private companies in China because the government seems to have its hands in everything. But in the case of Huawei, uh, I've heard senators like Ted Cruz say that Huawei is also a concern, not just because of their relationship to Iran and their dealings with Iran, but that they have back channel connections in all their technology that feeds information back to the mothership in China. Is that paranoia or is there a a real concern for uh, Huawei and ZTE and any Chinese company using their technology to feed information back home? Yeah, that is certainly a reasonable suspicion, which is certainly going to become even more important to us. And the reason is that, as I mentioned, um, Huawei is involved in 5G. 5G is the Internet of Things. It will connect everything in your home, almost everything in your life. And if Huawei is part of the backbone of the country, they'll know. And for instance, uh, you know, you use your toaster. Now, the 5G, uh, I'm sorry, the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Consortium includes uh, the United States and Canada. Four of the five company of countries have banned um, Huawei from 5G networks. The only country that hasn't done that in the Five Eyes is Canada. So this is going to be especially fascinating to watch the interplay among uh, Beijing, Ottawa, and Washington. Well, I knew New Zealand and Australia had just recently blocked 5G from Huawei into their telecommunications companies. I didn't realize Canada was the holdout. And uh, I have to wonder if there is some uh, negotiation going on right now between the State Department and Canada to get them on board with us. Uh, Gordon, let me ask you, because I know I don't have a whole lot of time with you. Uh, Gordon Chang is with us. Um, in, in terms of when this arrest happened, when this detention happened, there's speculation that it happened as Donald Trump was sitting down with Xi Jinping last Saturday. Is there any truth to that? And does that create any additional tension? Well, it's certainly true. Um, Meng Wanzhou was uh, detained Saturday night. That's the same time that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, and, and President Trump sat down for dinner in Buenos Aires. Um, so that's certainly true. Uh, the question is whether this was coincidence, whether President Trump knew about it. Um, those things are up in the air. Um, apparently, well, John Bolton, the national security advisor, said that uh, the president was not informed uh, that the arrest was going to occur. Um, a lot of people find that hard to believe, but I think it's probably true. I'm sure that, that Trump knew that there was going to be an arrest at some point, but he probably didn't know the timing. But the point right now is that we have so many challenges from China, and our responses are going to bump into each other. So 
this is going to happen more and more in the future. This is going to be really interesting to watch. Where does it go next, Gordon? Well, there's a there was a bail hearing today uh, for Ms. Mung. Um, the decision probably is going to be Monday. Um, I think that she certainly is a flight risk because Beijing wants her back. Um, but, you know, we'll see from there. And then, of course, Canada has to decide on the extradition. And if she is extradited, she's going to be brought before trial, I think, in the Eastern District of New York. In other words, Brooklyn. And um, this will be a long drama because each of these steps could require months. Wow. So this is certainly uh, a, this is a global controversy and this could end up in our backyard in the Eastern District of New York. And as you said, it could go on for months and months and months. And that could have an impact on this 90 days we have as the clock ticks to make a trade deal with China. And as you you saw, the market kind of had another bad day today. If we don't solve this, I think that could have a chilling effect on that 90-day timeline. Well, I'm sure that it will. Um, The Chinese are really upset about this. Now, it could have a good effect, could have a bad effect. We just don't know. Um, But we know that Beijing has demanded her back, has used extremely strong and undiplomatic language. And we know that China will do everything it can to pressure both Canada and the United States to release um, this uh, CFO of Huawei. Okay, I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Gordon Chang, a great author, great speaker, a guy who understands the region. Gordon, I got uh, for a a summer reading gift, I got Fateful Ties, History of America's Preoccupation with China. But that's not you. That's somebody else. What's the new book I need to be looking out for? Well, for me, no new book. Um, There is a Gordon H. Chang at Stanford. I'm Gordon G. Chang. Um, But people can read what I write at uh, my Twitter handle, Gordon G. Chang. Um, And uh, my website is GordonChang.com. GordonChang.com, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter, a guy who's got his finger on the pulse of what's going on in China and the region. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you joining us on a Friday evening. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. And there he goes. Uh, He really does understand what's happening in the region constantly. And I don't know how he keeps updated. Like I said, the the bail hearing happened today and Gordon knew what was going on there. Uh, This story of an executive with a Chinese technology company that is at the at the center of uh, China's push to dominate the world in technology, as he said, the 10 sectors is now 11 sectors. This is probably one of the biggest stories that you're not hearing anything about from mainstream media. So please pay attention to this. And the guy I suggest you follow is Gordon G. Chang. And uh, he's everywhere. Uh, Again, I'm Michael Pelka sitting in for my friend Buck Sexton. Uh, When we get back, I have to talk about the millennials because they're doing something really dumb And since it's Friday, we have to have a little fun on a Friday. I'll tell you the latest survey on millennials and some of the silly things they're willing to give up in order to keep their Amazon. That's next on the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka here on the Buck Sexton Show on this Friday evening. I'm filling in for my friend Buck Sexton tonight. You want to join the conversation? You are welcome to. The phone number 844-900-BUCK 
844-900-BUCK, which is 2825. And uh, like I said, next hour, we're going to hear from a Pearl Harbor survivor, someone who kept the story inside for 77 years, and only this year shared it with her surviving family members, someone who was there just a few hundred yards away as the bombs and the bullets were coming down. And she explains. Uh, We also talked earlier with our attorney friend, uh, Wendy Patrick, about the uh, sentencing memo in the Michael Cohen case. He's uh, expected, or at least they recommended, 42 months in prison. And uh, they detailed some of the stuff he did. It's it's not looked good for Michael Cohen. And uh, we will get more when we get the Comey transcript from his testimony today in front of two House committees. Uh, The transcript comes out 24 hours after he finished, and he's going to be back in front of those committees in a couple of weeks. As our friend Wendy Patrick, an attorney, a prosecutor, told us that uh, it often takes time to do the legwork for the next phase of that questioning. But I mentioned millennials before the break. And I got a couple of stories about millennials that I have to share with you. The first one is a survey about millennials and what they would give up to keep Amazon. They love Amazon so much that Amazon is so important in their lives that they would give up alcohol and sex before they would give up the online retailer. I want you to just think about that. Think about that. If you're a millennial and you're listening to this, do you really support this this new survey Polled more than 1,100 people who are between the ages of 18 and 34, millennials, who had used consumer tech products or purchased them on Amazon in the last year. And they asked them, you know, do you like the Amazon? 61% of the millennials shop in the middle of the night. 47, 47%, this one's making me stumble in my speech, 47% shop while they are in the bathroom. 24% have made Amazon purchases while grocery shopping or sitting in traffic. So put your phone down while you're in traffic, please. And stop taking it into the bathroom with you. It's just disgusting. We all know what's flying around the air in the bathroom. But the weird part, 77% of millennials surveyed said they would go without alcohol for a year rather than give up Amazon for a year. 44% say they would go without sex rather than give up Amazon. You know, we talked about the holidays earlier, and we talked to our friend Billy Hallowell from Pure Flix, and um, he talked about the reason for the season and about faith and all that stuff. And I really think the message of Christmas and Hanukkah and this season that we are in is that we should love people and use things, but instead we are all using people and loving things like Amazon. Just a little warning that the millennials are thinking differently than you and I. And speaking of thinking differently, probably the poster child for millennials and uh, dumb things. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez 
AOC, as the cool kids call her. She's even got a shortened name like the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, MBS. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is in a little bit of a controversy after Donald Trump Jr. kind of trolled her online. He posted a meme that had her picture and the words, why are you so afraid of a socialist economy? And then underneath it was a picture of President Trump and the words, because Americans want to walk their dogs, not eat them. Obviously a reference to so many socialist countries that are thrown into turmoil and starvation to where people's pets end up becoming food. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez took exception to Donald Trump tweeting that, and uh, she threatened him. She basically threatened him, writing, I have noticed that Junior here has a habit of posting nonsense about me whenever the Mueller investigation heats up. Please keep it coming, Junior. It's definitely, quote, a very, very large brain, close quote, idea to troll a member of a body that will have subpoena power in a month. Have fun, exclamation point. So what do we have here? We have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, not yet a congressperson, but soon to be a congressperson. And she will be part of the party that has control of the House chamber. So, in fact, her party will have subpoena power. But what is she doing? Threatening Don Jr. We will get to that as well coming up around the corner. But I have to remind you of something. If you've listened to this show before, you probably heard Buck talk about Snippy.com, the new social, social media site. And if you looked at Snippy.com and then left, I need you to look again. Thousands of Buck Sexton listeners have joined Snippy.com expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. Snippy is a place where everyone is free to express their thoughts and share their opinions and tell the world what makes them snippy. It's a place where discussion is valued, a place where your opinion matters. Totally free to join, open to everyone. Join us at snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning. No suppression of conservative thoughts ever. Now, with an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and for download for Android, Snippy, your new alternative social media. You better get on the bus. Oh, boy. I've got to get to um, the rest of this Alexandria Ocasio story and uh, a couple more uh, bubbling issues. And then next hour... We'll play the Pearl Harbor memory from Aunt B. Bazanski. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. Hello, America and all the ships at sea. Michael Pelka in for my friend Buck Sexton on this uh, Friday, Pearl Harbor Day. Remember Pearl Harbor. If you don't understand it, take a few minutes and Google the Pearl Harbor. And you don't even have to use Google. Use Bing or some other search engine. But you should understand what, what Pearl Harbor meant to this country 77 years ago as a, an, an attack on our naval base in the Hawaiian Islands before they were a state, killing 2,400-plus Americans, crippling our fleet that was there, 
And a turning point in the war for us, it, it got us to go, we're all in, Japan. Get ready, because we're coming. And we will hear from a survivor of Pearl Harbor, a, a dear friend of mine who's in the talk radio business as well. My friend Drew was having dinner with his family over the Thanksgiving break, and he asked them all to talk about Christmas memories to get ready for the Christmas holiday and his Aunt B, who is somewhere in her 80s, spoke up. And nobody knew that Aunt B had witnessed Pearl Harbor. Nobody had any idea that she had a front row seat to history that day and survived. Uh, Aunt B, who was at the time a little Beatrice, uh, probably a 10-year-old. I'm speculating. That's about the age she was. She had a five-year-old brother. And her mom and her dad, they all lived on a, an Air Force base just hundreds of yards away, a few hundred yards away from the ships at Pearl Harbor. And so on December 7th, she was able to remember everything from that day. And as my buddy Drew said, tell us about your memory. She said this and stunned the family. Well, it was different. I mean, the Japanese had just bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> and like we were right there. She went on to tell the story, and we will share the story with you later on this hour. I have to get back to something I was talking about earlier. It was uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I was going after the millennials, as I always do. If you know me, if you listen to me on radio or you follow me on puropelka.com or at StuntBrain on Twitter, you know that I have a tendency to go after the millennials because there's so much good target material there. But Ocasio-Cortez went after Donald Trump Jr. Now, she said a host of really uneducated things after her election victory. Uh, she talked about uh, getting sworn in and uh, she talked about getting inaugurated into <laughs> inaugurated and then signing bills and stuff. There's no inauguration for members of the House and the House members don't, don't sign bills. But she got upset that Donald Trump Jr. trolled her a little bit and mocked socialism. And she is a socialist. Let's face it. She is somebody who would be real happy if America became a socialist country. And uh, she posted this tweet on the Twitter I've noticed that Junior here has a habit of posting nonsense about me whenever the Mueller investigation heats up. Please keep it coming. It's definitely a very, very large brain idea to troll a member of a body that will have subpoena power in a month. Have fun. And uh, everybody noticed. Everybody noticed because the House Ethics Manual explicitly prohibits the kind of threat that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just issued against Donald Trump Jr. for his refusal to support her political agenda. That's the interpretation of the Federalist Sean Davis, who wrote that on Twitter and highlighted the section of the House Ethics Manual. I guess Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been a little too busy to read the rules she's supposed to be getting ready to observe. Sean Davis wrote, House prohibition on the very kind of threat that Ocasio-Cortez just made to Donald Trump Jr. couldn't be clearer. 
lawmakers are, quote, prohibited from threatening punitive action, close quote, against people or groups not politically supporting the lawmaker. Ethics committees should investigate. Can you investigate somebody who's not yet an elected member of Congress? Uh, Ben Shapiro also wrote, so um, if he trolls you on media, then you're going to use the power of the government to come after him? That's not fascist or anything. This is what the fascists don't realize. The people that would shut down your right to have a differing opinion are exactly the example of fascism. Derek Hunter wrote, So you stalked Donald Trump Jr. on Twitter and are now threatening to abuse congressional subpoena power for a personal vendetta if he continues to point out the stupid things you say. How very progressive. I'm really worried about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I think she is dangerous. And yet, I also think she's not as dumb as we think she is. I think she has succeeded in making herself the story. She is, uh, she is kind of a hot mess in front of the media. And yet, she's allowed to threaten subpoena power? She's allowed to threaten the president's son? Now, Don Jr. may have some legal problems of his own, if, as we've heard whispered around the Mueller investigation. But for this woman to threaten subpoena power before she's even sworn in, to me, is a real dangerous thing. She's dangerous from that level. But I also think we need to keep an eye on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Do not underestimate this woman. Not one bit. She knows a whole lot more than she's letting on. And somebody else is behind pulling the strings. I'm going to give you a little hint. If you know uh, the, uh, the group, the Young Turks, run by a guy who's not so young, but might be a Turk, Cenk Uygur, he may be one of the people inside the machine that created Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. His, uh, his group allegedly held the website that ultimately became her website. There are connections to a group of progressives who are hoping to run 400 candidates in 2020. 400 candidates for the House. Think about it. Progressives hold the purse strings if they get 400 seats in Congress. Hell, if they get 300 seats in Congress. It's a very dangerous thing. So pay attention to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is not someone to be written off as just a fool. She was someone to be concerned about. Now, um, I have to tell you something. Uh, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I have a coffee drinker in my life who is getting a very, very special gift from me this Christmas. They are getting a full year of Black Rifle coffee. I heard Buck talking about Black Rifle coffee on the show uh, a few months back. And I said, you know, my buddy Bill's a coffee drinker. I'm going to get him some Black Rifle coffee. And I got him the the three-month pack. And he's like, this is the greatest coffee ever. And keeps bugging me. He goes, you know, Christmas is coming up. So guess what? Guess who's getting a full year 
of Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle has a coffee club that makes things real easy. You just pick your blend, you pick the amount you want, and Black Rifle ships the coffee right to your door or your friend's door, hassle-free every month. And Black Rifle Coffee makes the gift of giving great-tasting coffee easy by offering a three, a six, or a 12-month prepaid or pay-as-you-go subscriptions. And those are available for gifting. So the best-tasting, according to my friend Bill, the most energizing, and this coffee helps veterans and first responder causes. Black Rifle Coffee, the gift that keeps on giving. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and you'll get 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You have to check it out. Uh, I have to I have to dive in once more into the news of the day as it relates to uh, the, the story around the Michael Cohen sentencing. And um, before we get into our discussion of Pearl Harbor, the Michael Cohen sentencing and the guidelines that came out today calls for uh, Michael Cohen to serve at least four years in prison. And um, the interesting thing in all this is Alan Dershowitz, a guy who is a liberal, a guy who was a Hillary Clinton supporter, uh, a guy who appears on Fox frequently because the Harvard Law professor, who is, as we said, a liberal, I think has great clarity on these kinds of situations. So when we get back, uh, we will play for you the Dershowitz interpretation of the sentencing guidelines for Michael Cohen, what they mean for Cohen but also what they mean for the president as it relates to what Robert Mueller may have in his investigation. That's next on the Buck Sexton Show with Michael Pelka. Michael Pelka in for my friend Buck Sexton. Buck will be back on Monday on the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you for joining me tonight. You can follow me on Twitter at StuntBrain, all one word, S-T-U-N-T-B-R-A-I-N. Or just go to PuroPelka.com and you can see what I'm up to, the stories I'm interested in. You'll get the, the daily, it's not always a rant, but it kind of is. It's called the two-minute drill. My anger in two minutes. I have good news tonight. I have good, I bring good news to the people of the United States of America. Finally, our long national nightmare that was Michelle Obama's strict limitations on school lunches is over. How do I know this? Well, uh, we, we now are seeing schools being allowed to have chocolate milk back in the cafeterias. Michelle Obama denied us chocolate milk. So I'm happy to see that happen. Uh, CNN had this giant report earlier this morning that John Kelly was going to be gone by dinner time tonight, and he's not. The uh, the guy who I think is one of the key members of the White House staff, the chief of staff, John Kelly, is still there. And please, God, please keep him there. I think he's a, a great man who, I know, praying on the air. Uh, but I think that's a big deal. We talked early in the show about the sentencing memo uh, for uh, Michael Cohen. And uh, Robert Mueller said Cohen was helpful, 
But the sentencing memo about uh, Michael Cohen's case from the the court in New York uh, wants uh, four years, and that's a big deal. Alan Dershowitz, the liberal Hillary Clinton supporter, had some very interesting things to say on Fox News just before this show started. He uh, was talking with Jesse Waters about the guidelines in the memo for Cohen sentencing. And Alan Dershowitz, again, a guy who's a liberal, Harvard liberal, who looks at the law without party, said some pretty interesting things in this clip. I think there are two possibilities. One, that Cohen hasn't really provided them very much or hasn't been completely cooperative. Or two, that by recommending a very, very harsh sentence, they're putting more pressure on Cohen, maybe to come up with even more information because the government has the power to get the sentence reduced afterward if they can tell a court that there was cooperation. So right now, it does not sound like it's good news for Mueller. It doesn't sound like in Cohen they have found a witness that will give them the key to the kingdom. Interesting. Alan Dershowitz is saying that the memo all about Michael Cohen's sentencing and the recommendations are not good news for Robert Mueller. And if you watch CNN or MSNBC, why would you? I'm sorry, I watch it so you don't have to. You will see a parade of Democrats saying this is bad news for Donald Trump. While it may not be the best news, according to Alan Dershowitz, a liberal Hillary Clinton supporter, this is bad news for Robert Mueller. I'll let him continue. So far, the only solid evidence that he has provided is the campaign contribution issue and it's a very very weak case because a president is entitled to pay off uh, women in order to help his family help his brand and even if it was to help the campaign remember the timing that he wouldn't have had to file anything until after the election so i think many courts would say no harm no foul uh, even if he had filed it after the election, it would have had, wouldn't have had an impact on the election. So the, the campaign contribution case is an extraordinarily weak one. The evidence of him maybe wanting to build a tower in Moscow, that's not a crime. It's not collusion. If the president or somebody offered Putin, uh, as some people have suggested, a penthouse on the top of the building in order to get a license to build the building, that would be different under the Federal Corrupt Practices Act, but I've seen no evidence to support that quid pro quo. So really, according to one of the great legal minds in America, Alan Dershowitz, the memo on the sentencing for Cohen really stinks for Cohen. And it's also bad news for Robert Mueller. And while there are certainly some unsavory elements of what the president did in having Michael Cohen pay off women, there may be absolutely nothing illegal in what was done. Absolutely nothing illegal. Unsavory, yes. Uh, slimy, yes. Illegal, no. So we shall see. Uh, we're, we're not yet at the end of the Robert Mueller investigation. We're 20 months into this. How many millions of dollars have been uh, wasted on this, how much time has been sucked up by this, which prevented Donald Trump from pushing forward with his agenda. We will see 
We will see. Uh, one of the Trump lawyers apparently met with a Russian offering political synergy. But is there anything there? Is there absolutely anything there? Uh, I'm telling you, I, I don't see it. I'm not seeing it at all. So today, this this might be a nothing burger for Donald Trump. It's certainly a big four-year in prison burger for Michael Cohen. It can't be a happy Hanukkah for him. It's got to be a gigantic disappointment for him after all the cooperation. But as Alan Dershowitz said, it might lead to more squeezing of Cohen, enticing him to give up even more information. We shall see. A lot of that's hanging out there. We have a lot of things to uh, watch over the weekend. We're going to get the transcript of the Comey hearing today. And uh, then in two more weeks, we'll have another Comey hearing. And uh, we, we may get some news on Canada, whether or not they're going to extradite the Chinese official to America to face trial for violating our sanctions agreement. And that's a big deal as it relates to the stock market down another 500 points today. So there are a lot of things to watch this weekend as if you didn't have enough to deal with over the uh, run up to Christmas in the middle of Hanukkah. I'm telling you. But I have a special treat for you just around the corner. We are we're going to spend some time talking with or hearing from. I, I didn't get to talk to her. My friend talked to her. We're going to get to uh, hear from a survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And this was the first year that uh, none of the members, the surviving members of the USS Arizona were at the memorial this year. This first time. So to hear from someone who was at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, who as a young woman took it all in and remembered it, uh, I think it's a pretty special moment. I'll share you the story of Aunt B. Bazansky. It, uh, it's quite touching. She really took me by surprise. She has a powerful voice for a woman in her 80s. I'm not going to tell you exactly how old she is. That would be rude. But you will hear from a Pearl Harbor survivor and you get chills if you like i did pay attention to it special moment special segments coming up on the buck sexton show michael pelka saying thanks for hanging out with me let's have a little historical perspective on the greatness of america next it is the Buck Sexton Show on this Friday night, December 7th, the 77th anniversary of the attack on America's base at Pearl Harbor in the Hawaiian Islands before Hawaii was a state. And it's a day that truly will live in infamy, in the words of FDR, and uh, a day we must never forget. And here's something really surprising. There are many Americans who were part of Pearl Harbor who never talk about it. And I know this was the day that I believe at the ceremonies at the museum at Pearl Harbor that uh, we did not have any of the survivors in attendance because they're all getting so old it's difficult for them to travel. A friend of mine who also happens to be like-minded, a conservative like all of us, said that they were sitting around the Thanksgiving table and they were talking about the upcoming Christmas holidays. And my buddy Drew likes to ask everybody, what was their favorite Christmas memory? 
and his Aunt B, B. Bazansky, who is a woman in her 80s. Uh, you don't actually ask uh, a woman her age. That's not polite. But B. Bazansky was around during Pearl Harbor. And she told a story she had never told any of the family members. And thank God my friend Drew was recording. He captured her saying this when he asked, what was your favorite or most unusual Christmas memory? Well, it was different. I mean, the Japanese had just bombed Pearl Harbor. (laughs) And like we were right there. And like we were right there. Nobody knew this. Nobody had any idea that Aunt B was at Pearl Harbor, that as a young girl, she witnessed it, that she and her mother and her younger brother and her father, who was in the Air Force, witnessed it. So Drew sat back and let his recording pick up Aunt B's story of Pearl Harbor, and I want to share it with you. Okay, well, first of all, my dad was in the Air Force, um, and he was stationed at Hickam Field, which is right next to Pearl Harbor. There was just like a chain link fence between the two. So we were very close. I mean, really close. Anyway, he was uh, a master sergeant in the Air Force. And December the 7th, he, it was a Sunday, so he got up really early to go fishing in the harbor, in Pearl Harbor. And he had this little fishing boat. I think it had a 25 um horsepower motor and he's out there in the harbor fishing and the sun's just coming up and he sees this formation of of uh, airplanes he's telling the story to us sure and um he thought gee the navy's up early this morning practicing well pretty soon they came started peeling off and started machine gunning right over him and so he of course got the motor going fast and rent got to the shore and got in his car and of course we were in the housing on the base and our house was like one block from the fence that separated pearl harbor from hickam field and uh, uh he got in the car came home uh, and ran in the house and told my mother to get a box and put in some food and some clothes for the kids and I want you to get up to the mountains. Well, just before he came, my mother had gone and looked out the bedroom window, and she saw a torpedo coming down on one of the ships in Pearl Harbor. And um, she thought, oh, my gosh, it's a war. We're at war. And then she came to get us kids, and my little brother was outside. He had gone outside. I think he was five years old, looking up in the sky at the airplanes, And the airplanes are shooting, machine gunning. And so she ran out and got him in the house. And and then my dad came home and she got the clothes and some food and threw it in the car. And then my dad told her that uh, we needed to go to the mountains and to the house where our, our maid lived. We had a maid that worked for us once in a while. And a Portuguese family, mm-hmm. and um, he's, he then slapped a gun in her hand and said, and you use this if you have to. Imagine what was going through B. Bazansky's mind at that moment. 
a young girl who had been growing up in paradise in Hawaii with her younger brother, her mom and her dad on a military base in military housing. And they wake up on December 7th, 1941, to the sound of bombs and machine guns. Her father in the service now running home to tell mom and the kids, you have to get out of here. And she sees dad put a pistol in mom's hand and says, get to the mountains, take food and clothing and go. I'll let B continue telling her story. I still remember this. And so anyway, she took off. He said, I've got to go back to the hangars because he was in charge of one of the hangars. He did maintenance on airplanes. Okay. And he was in charge of men to get the airplanes up to fight the Japanese. And so the the closest he came to being killed that morning, he uh, had gone to his hangar, and there was one airplane that they hadn't gotten out of the hangar yet. They still had to put wheels on it or something. And he had seven men working on it to get it up and out of the hangar. And uh, he turned around and went into his office, and just then a bomb hit the the middle of the hangar and killed all those men oh. and he was thrown under some lockers so thank god that was as close as he came to being killed that morning but then as we left <clears throat> our house to turn the corner to go out the gate of hickam field we looked back and we could see the air strip where the planes should be taking off but they weren't they were all on fire yeah. because the Japanese had strafed them and bombed them, and um, it was just fire all the way down the runway. So anyway, we left and uh, got up in the mountains and found the house where our maid lived, and it was a very small house. It was four rooms, as I remember. Just four rooms. Just four rooms, and uh, the family gave us the dining room and a mattress to go underneath the dining room table, and that's where we slept for two weeks. B. Bazanski sharing a story with her family, a story they never told for 77 years. It's an amazing tale from a young American perspective now 77 years later. There's more from B. Bazanski. We have to go into what happened next and the harrowing journey that the family had to take when they were finally allowed to be part of the civilians who were taken off Hawaii and brought back to the mainland in a 20-vessel group of ships that had to travel with fears of submarine attacks from the Japanese. The convoy of 20 American battleships that took B and her mom and her brother Back to America. We'll get into the rest of the story. A Pearl Harbor memory that just came to the surface. That's next on the Buck Sexton Show. Mike Opelka in for my friend Buck Sexton here on the Buck Sexton Show on this Pearl Harbor day. My buddy's Aunt B. Bazanski surprised the whole family when she told them, in fact, she was at Pearl Harbor well, it was different. I mean, the Japanese had just bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> and like we were right there. Nobody knew that when Aunt B told that story over the holiday dinner at Thanksgiving. 
So we let Aunt B continue. We went, we traveled quite a while to get up there. But we had to stay there uh, for the two weeks because they told us we would not be allowed back on Hickam Field until they built some air raid shelters and and issued gas masks. And because there was a rumor that the Japanese were going to gas us and also poison the water. Really? Yeah. So we had to boil water from that time on. And um, after two weeks, we did go back to the base and uh, we were issued uh, the, the gas masks. Even the children were. And um, we had air raids practice in the night. So I remember that. It was really scary. The sirens would go off, and we had to put our house coat on and run across the street and get into a, a bomb shelter, which is, you know, dug out dirt, and then they put dirt on top. Of, sure. And make it's underground. Underground in your house coat with air raid practice. I, I can't imagine being a young child and experiencing this, but. Aunt B, my buddy's Aunt B, was just amazing. The story continues, and we haven't even gotten to their ultimate escape from Hawaii back to the mainland. First, we have to get from December 7th through Christmas. Well, uh, they appointed people to be like watchmen on the streets and in the house, from the house, house to house, uh, because at night we had to black out. They, we couldn't have anything, any lights showing. So they put cardboard and stuff over the windows because they were really fearful that the Japanese were going to come back. And uh, there were pot, big, like big holes in the roads. I remember that. So you couldn't really travel. Even up in the mountains, there were holes in the streets where they had, Japanese had bombed. And um, I don't know how my mother was staying in touch with my dad, but once in a while they connected. Yeah. Because he couldn't leave the base. Did he give her information on what was happening? Was he able to tell her the conditions on the ground before you came back? Yeah, I mean, he was telling everything was destroyed. There's, and so much, so many people were killed. The men that were in the barracks were killed. And, you know, whole, amongst the whole barracks of people were killed. And, and uh, they were sleeping, you know, Sunday morning. <laughs> Sunday morning, December 7th, 1941, the words from B. Bazansky, a young American at the time, now in her 80s, recounting her personal experience and eyewitness to Pearl Harbor. And like I said, this tiny family was trying to have a Christmas, trying to recreate a normal life, but life in Pearl Harbor and ultimately back in America was anything but normal. You're just apprehensive all the time. You know, there's fear everywhere because the rumors were flying that the Japanese were coming back and we were going to get bombed again. And But then we tried to have a normal life. <clears throat> and I remember going to school um, probably just for about three weeks because they had started to um, transport the dependents off of the islands as fast as they could to get them back to the mainland. I remember we had to carry our gas mask on our shoulder when we went to school. Wow. And um, then we came home. I mean, we just, we tried to have a normal life. Uh, Christmas came 
there were no Christmas trees to be had, of course. So we made one out of the uh, crepe paper. We cut it out in the shape of a tree and, and scotch taped it up to the wall. That was our Christmas tree. And then by then they had started camouflaging all of the things on the base on Hickam Field. Like the tower, it was all different colors, you know, for camouflaging. And um, they had a, they did have a Christmas party for the children on the base. And I remember getting a little storybook doll, <laughs> and the boys got little airplanes. And um, that's about all we got for Christmas, because we were packing, getting ready to leave, hoping that we'd be on the next ship out, you know. Well, actually... It was February before we left, um, and it, they told us we were the last ships of uh, dependents that were leaving. The last ships of dependents leaving Pearl Harbor. The words again of B. Bizansky. And it was a big convoy of Navy ships, uh, transports, battleships. Uh, we had two destroyers in our convoy. It was about 20 ships. Uh, and on our way back to San Francisco. And we had to zigzag all the way back, so it took a long time to get there. And uh, we had a few very scary nights of when they thought they had submarines sighted and we'd have to go to our lifeboat stations in the dark. And it was pitch black because they couldn't have any lights showing on the ships because then the submarines would know there's the ship torpedo it. I can't imagine having this memory and not talking about it for 77 years. How she closed this discussion, though, gave me the biggest chills of all. My thoughts today are sorrowful because I see America doesn't love America. People, they don't, they're not patriotic. They're selfish and they, they don't have the same values that we used to have. I mean, we were through the, when we came back from Pearl Harbor, we were raising, we, we as children would get our wagons and gather scrap metal for, to make, you know, they were gathering metal for ammunition or making airplanes or whatever it was, but Everybody was patriotic. I mean, we were rationed uh, our food, uh, sugar and tires, and everything was rationed back in the, during the war. But we were happy that we could participate in that way to keep America free. And right now, people don't understand that for some reason. I, I guess you have to go through blood and guts and war to understand that we live in a great country. And they don't appreciate it. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, too. God bless you, B. Bizansky. And never forget Pearl Harbor. Testudo, my friends. Testudo. Every time you go online or use public Wi-Fi, you're putting personal information in danger. All it takes is one time, and a hacker could have enough information on you to steal your identity. By infiltrating your internet traffic, hackers can open bank accounts in your name, access your emails, destroy your credit for years. That's why Buck and people like me have decided to take back our privacy by using ExpressVPN. 
ExpressVPN, easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and uh, uh, anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. That's critical. ExpressVPN rated the number one VPN service by TechRater, and it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep hackers and spies away from your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. And if you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Now protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com buck expressvpn.com slash buck you get three months free with a one-year package visit expressvpn.com slash buck to learn more